Good morning, church. It is truly a blessing for me to stand before you to read the word of God this morning. I can see you all better. That's why I took my glasses off. My name is Carl, for those who don't know. This morning, we continue to celebrate God's call for his people to live as a witness to his grace and love. Our world is in desperate need of a witness. Today's passage reveals the focus of our witness, the holistic nature of our witness, and the desire, desired response to Christian witness. Join me in reading God's word. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking, praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow. Join me in the responsive reading. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carl. Good to have you back. Good morning, church. I add my greetings to those that you have already heard. Um, I want to begin with uh, a couple of maybe seemingly random things. Uh, first of all, if, if you've got an itty-bitty in here with you and we start experiencing some wiggles, I want you to know something. We welcome wiggles in worship. All of us do. So we're going to embrace it and love it and celebrate it uh, just to make that an equalizer. Secondly, uh, I have a, it might be to you all an awkward sense of urgency uh, today just to let everybody know uh, that you are loved. And the truth is, you never know the last time that you're going to see somebody. You don't know. And so Rather than creating a, an awkward sauce soup of some kind right now and just going around telling each of you that I love you, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Could you just look at the person next to you or around you and just tell somebody you are loved? Will you do that right now? Right now. Now, yeah. I saw a couple of teenagers just look over and go, okay? 
All right, I know, I know. And then I saw a couple of grown-ups with a teenager inside of you coming out. It's awkward to tell somebody you love them, but I'm telling you, we don't know. There's a real urgency that we have as Christians to shine a light and to show love. And we've been going through the book of Acts, looking at the theme of being a witness. And today we're going to look at the focus of our witness. But first, I want to remind you of what we looked at so far. Uh, The first week we looked at that God doesn't need us to be a witness. His mission can go forward without you, without me, and without us. But he's pleased to use us. In fact, It's for your good and his glory that we participate in his mission as witnesses. We just had a Sunday school class uh, where we celebrated uh, the testimonies of all of our mission trips. And to a T, everyone that went talked about how, you know, you go on these trips thinking you're going to help people, thinking you're going to love people, thinking you're going to serve people, and you come back and you feel more loved, more served, and more blessed than you ever thought you could give. And it turns out that's the king's economy. It actually is more blessed to give than to receive, and he doesn't need you. He just wants to use you. And then the second thing we looked at this week, uh, this series, this week, um, hello, is this, uh, that God, there's no pressure on you, that God's work is done by his word and his spirit. He literally has given us all that we need to just raise our hands and be a vessel for his mission. We saw that with Peter's witness in chapter 2, verse 40, uh, that, that he just uses the word of God and watches the spirit of God do the work of God as he is a witness to the grace and the testimony of God. Uh, again, uh, a reminder, uh, someone said in the Sunday school class, it was like they just erased my introduction and gave inserted better things for me. But someone said, you know... Uh, I said, why do y'all feel, what would y'all tell everybody? Why should, you need, uh, what, why should they go on a mission trip? And this one person says, because you don't have to be good to do good. God gives us grace to participate in this, and we have got to take advantage of the opportunity. And I thought, what an amazing picture, a testimony of, you know, we often disqualify ourselves, but if it's truly God's work from beginning to end, his grace, his word, his spirit, then let's open ourselves up as vessels. And then last week, we looked at one other thing. We got a lot of people who are, I don't want to step out alone. I don't want to be on witness. I don't want to do this thing. Come on. And, and, and the word of God is like, it's okay. You don't have to do it alone. There's strength in numbers. And we looked at the collective witness of God's people in the church. After Peter's witness in t- chapter 2, verse 40 and following, thousands were added to the ranks of the church. But when, when the witness of the church was uh, collected and they were embodying the gospel and gospel community day by day, God was adding people to their numbers. It's, it's more of a regular biblical math of discipleship. Uh, one plus one plus one equals a multitude, the church growing. And so we have this strength of, uh, of numbers and that we come to a gospel community where though all of us have needs, And though all of us are broken, we actually find a fullness and find a life and share a witness when we seek to show love and to give love and to serve rather than be served. I was actually uh, excited this week. I got an email from somebody 
I love, by the way, getting emails of joy of like, hey, listen to this. I got to be a witness, right? And somebody was telling me, I'm not going to say who, uh, was telling me that they had an opportunity to talk with somebody who was really in a rough spot and to listen to them, to encourage them, to empower them, to get some help. But more than anything, uh, in something that is awkward for all of us, they said, can I pray for you? And I, I just tell me the story and I asked them, I emailed back, can you tell me all the nitty gritty of it? I just want to know more. And they shared more of the story and I was just floored, inspired, encouraged. I'll spare you from reading all of it. And I just thanked them for sharing it. And the response was, it's a joy to be a witness for Jesus. And I thought, wow, how awesome is it? I'm telling you, we have a hard time believing it, but God gives us this invitation and he gives you this moment. You don't know when you're going to have another moment. And God is pleased to use his people to share his love and to share his hope. So today we're going to look at the focus of our witness. And, and here's what this is like today. If you've ever seen a court drama or court show and you know when a witness takes a stand, uh, you have a lawyer that coaches that witness. Here's what you need to say. Here's how you need to posture yourself. Here's the ethos you need to communicate so that you can be an effective witness on the stand, okay? That is what this passage is for us today. So God has not only said, I don't need you, I wanna use you. I give you my word, my work, and my spirit. You don't have to do it alone, you can do it collectively. He also teaches us how to be focused in our witness. And so that's what we're gonna look at as we unpack this passage together. But before we go to the word of the Lord, I ask you, will you pray with me for the Holy Spirit to speak with you? Will you? Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We are your people. As we hear the sirens of our city around us, we know that there is a sense of urgency that you've called your people to know your love, to know your light, and to show your love, and to live your light in this dark world that you've put us in. In this world of brokenness, Lord, would you use us to bring healing? Lord, in this world uh, of desperation, would you use us to bring water and life, the bread of life, Jesus Christ? Holy Spirit, speak to us now, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, so let's unpack this passage together. Uh, we're going to, if you have a Bible, keep it open. We're going to look at all 10 verses today. And the first thing that we're going to see, and just remind ourselves of the, of the need for the witness in our world. Uh, look at how this passage starts. Uh, now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. It's the ninth hour. The passage actually begins in Greek with the word and. Uh, it is very clearly connected with the pericope that's gone before it. Uh, and all that we've talked about, there is a continuation here that we need to note. Uh, but you see, they're going at the third hour just to bring some clarity. Uh, we know that the church has been added to its number. We know they have 3,000 at least 5,000 total around there. He, they're not going to like some big mega church gathering. All right. They're going at the ninth hour. It's 3 p.m. to a synagogue, a temple for prayer. They're going to be a witness to testify, to witness to the goodness, the grace of God, the work of God in Jesus Christ. In verse two, and a lame man from birth was being carried. Whom they laid, we don't know who they is, it's friends of this lame man. They daily laid him at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate. And there he asked for alms entering the temple. 
Now, the way we see our need is here. The culture, the man, is being carried to a place where they are looking for him to get what he needs. A lame man that cannot walk on his own is carried to a place where they feel like he can suffice, find what he needs to survive. Now, you can see this picture in your mind's eye. We've seen a little bit of poverty in our country, a little bit of poverty out in the homelessness in our streets. If you've ever been to a developing country, you've seen a lot of poverty, you've smelled it. But you can all imagine a man that is uh, so lame, he cannot walk, he must be carried, so light to be carried in, in, in malnutrition, more than likely, he's bony. And he sat at this gate completely dependent on people who were going in to worship, sitting at the beautiful gate. We don't have time to unpack the actual gate he went into, but it's a strategic place to sit. People are going into a prayer time. They automatically are kind of feeling good about themselves and maybe want God to feel good about them too. So they're going to give them some alms. It's a pretty smart place to be. But the need for a witness as they're going to the temple to meet with people who are praying to talk about Jesus is just exposed by this lame man that is carried, totally unable to get what he needs on his own. The need of our world, the need for people that don't know the love and grace of Jesus is personified and pictured in this lame man, totally unable to get what they need us as individuals, we cannot get what we need as humans without God's grace. Now, there is a need for physical food. There's a need for, for healing and walking from sickness. There are these basic needs of humanity, but all of us have a need that we can do nothing about. And just real quick, let me pull back. Because oftentimes the church misunderstands the gospel, and so we misapply our call to be a witness. And so we look out at, at our call for our life, and we apply it in a more moralistic way than not. That the, the, the real opportunity to be a witness is just to tell people to be good, just do gooder, right? Or we're really self-righteous and religious, and we think, oh, if we can just get people to do religious things, just go to church and go to a prayer, go to a Bible study, check some religious boxes, and you are going to be doing better. We misunderstand the gospel. We misapply the opportunity that we have to be a witness. And seeing this man who's totally unable helps us learn more about the need of our culture and, pay attention, for your own heart, my own heart, because we're human. We are paralyzed by our sin. The Bible says it this way, a few verses, Psalm 51, 58, uh, we're, we're born impure. We are born sinful. Ephesians 2, 1 and 5, it says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, completely unable on our own to be made alive. Jeremiah, Romans, Paul says, is the prophet Jeremiah, we cannot change if we want to. We're completely unable to get what we need to be alive, truly alive, and live abundant life as humans. And finally, Jesus says in John 3 and Paul again in Romans 8, 
We cannot even choose God if we want to. And so the picture that scripture paints of the human heart and the need of humanity in particular is that we are completely unable, paralyzed by our problem of sin. And this is true for me, it's true for you. If you know Christ, it's different, but Christ wants us to be a witness to a world that is being carried by friends and, and, and currents of our culture to places where they think they can get some hope and they think they can get some healing, but it will be completely non-transforming and unsustainable. Do you get the parallels? The picture couldn't be more potent to me. It's only, the only hope we have is in the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus' heart stopped beating so that we can get a new heart. Jesus was born a human so that he could live the perfect life and take our sin in his death so that those of us who need to be born again to a newness of life, resurrected from the dead, can experience his grace. That's the work of the gospel. And that's why scripture, along with these verses, gives us tremendous hope Jesus says in John 3, in that same conversation that we can't change ourselves, he says, we have to be born again, born by the Spirit, born by God's grace. And in Ezekiel 36, we get this picture painted that it's God alone that can give us the new heart and the new spirit. It's God, his grace alone. It's mercy alone, according to Romans chapter 6 and 12 and all over the place, uh, that makes us alive that moves us from death to life. Paul says it's by grace you've been saved through faith alone. And it's grace alone that gives us new life in the love of Christ. And it's Christ alone who gives us the righteousness that we need to be made right with God. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, the work of Christ alone. But like the lame man, we're paralyzed with the problem of our sin and totally unable to redeem ourselves. And this is true for people who are on the sidewalk or who live in the suburbs. There is tremendous need. And as we see in this passage, there is a, oftentimes physical transformation that comes when spiritual transformation is realized. And the deepest problem of humanity is the need for our sin to be atoned for. And that's why the focus of our witness is Jesus Christ. You see, moralism doesn't do anything about our sin problem. We can't just be gooder until we're okay. We gotta have grace every day. You see, our self-righteousness, it isn't enough to revive us and make us right with God. We have to have the righteousness of Christ. And that's why if you look at this passage in verse four, it's unbelievable both how personal and powerful the witness is. Look at verse four. Uh, we'll start at three. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked him, this is the layman, he asked them to receive alms. And I love this, verse four. It says, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And they said, look at us. The witness, when you take a stand for Christ, it's personal. Look at us. And we see at verse seven, 
It's actually personal in touch as well that Peter reaches out and he grabs him. And in a world that's becoming more and more uh, impersonal, more and more automated, more and more virtual, the incarnational love of Christ is displayed in a personal touch for Christ. Letting people know that they're seen, letting people know that they're worthy to be touched. They might've been carried on a mat to a strategic place to try to find sustenance for survival, but they sure are worthy of the dignity of human life and human love and a physical eye gaze and a handhold. It's a powerful picture of this. And you gotta, you gotta understand, this man was looking for help and he was looking in all the wrong places. He sees Peter and John. These are apostles. Peter just was the lightning rod at Pentecost, right? And he asked for alms. Hey, can I have a couple of coins? He's outside the temple where people are feeling religious. That's actually a connection for you because you've got friends. You do. You've got family. You've got neighbors. You work with people. You're in classes with people who really think, like this beggar, if I just get the coins that I need, if I just get the religious connections that I need, then I'm going to be okay. It's misdirected hope. And the apostles demonstrate this personal touch. And they make eye contact. And they really focus the message. I I love how they don't rebuke him. I love how they just redirect him. The powers in the name of Jesus. Look at what he says in in verse six. Peter said, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet were made strong. So, I am not encouraging you to go outside if you see a homeless point person to claim in the name of Jesus, get up and go find a house. I'm not doing that. I'm not telling you to go to someone in the hospital and just claim over them in the name of Jesus, get up and get out your heel. All right, Jesus does have that kind of power, but this is a continuation of God working at a specific time in history, a new epoch in redemptive history where the church is going forward and the authority of the apostles is being established. And so God's word is being authenticated in God's servants, the apostles, and this miraculous thing happens. We shouldn't think it's normal. God, yes, he heals, but he's not asking you to go out and do the apostolic miracles. He is communicating that it is very, very normal for God's people to look at people in need and to offer help, hope, and healing in the power of the name of Jesus. In fact, if we kept reading this section in verse 16, when Peter explains why this man is completely healed, he says it's because of the power of the name of Jesus. And if we keep reading in chapter four, I'm gonna say verse 20 confidently because y'all don't know the difference, uh, unless you have it memorized. It's actually verse 12. 
He says there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. The point is in the power of the name of Jesus. Jesus alone is the focus of the witness on the witness stand. Jesus alone is the focus of the beggar who's leading another beggar to the bread of life. Jesus alone is the one, his name is the only one that gives freedom to people who are captive in addictions. Jesus alone, it's his name that gives peace in anxious hearts. Jesus alone in his name, in his work can give forgiveness of sins and deal with that shame problem that is plaguing you and has too often been an excuse in disqualifying yourself because you feel like you haven't measured up. Jesus alone is the one that looks upon the sinner and says there's no condemnation in Christ. It's the name of Jesus alone that moves us from a place of deficiency in our identity, of isolation because of disqualification of ourselves, and he bestows upon us a new identity as a child of God. It's Jesus alone who gives us that security. It's the name of Jesus whereby we are saved. It's the name of Jesus that has authority over everything seen and unseen. It's the name of Jesus that gives people hope in darkness. It's the name of Jesus that gives life in places of death. It's the name of Jesus that is glorious above all other glories of this world. And that is all we have to focus our witness on. I'm telling you, God wants to use you as a witness. And there are people in your life today that need this hope. And I am begging you to not count on tomorrow because we cannot hold to that. The power is in the name of Jesus. And there are people in here that have misapplied their witness because you've misunderstood the gospel completely. There's people in here that have misunderstood what it really means to be a Christian. There's no such thing as a good Christian. We all need grace and forgiveness. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. There's no such thing as a perfect community. No perfect person's gonna come. We are a sanctified people, covered in the blood of Jesus, a new family, new creations, born again to a living hope in Christ. Jesus alone, and God wants to use you. Quickly, I got to point this out. I mean, just think about this. Did Jesus really need Peter and John to talk to this lame beggar? No. But Jesus was pleased to use them. I don't, I don't know why God wants to use you. I don't know why God chooses you to be his vessel in his vehicle. I don't know why he's put you in your school. I don't know why he's put you with classmates that need to hear and see the gospel. I don't know why you've got family members that need hope and they need to see it in you. I don't know why you've got business partners and clients that need to see the integrity, the life, and the love of Christ. And he's put you there to do it. I don't know why you are his plan A, his choice, his vehicle to be his. I don't know why, but he's done it. And this is again and again, not just Peter and John. This is normal for the church. Here's what Paul says in verse, chapter five of Romans, put it on the screen. I don't have it memorized and I'd love to read it. <laughs> it's not there. Yes. 
Paul says this, chapter 10. Ah, oh, sorry, Bob. Yeah, it's a grace community. How will they know? How will they call on him whom they've not believed in? How are they going to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? As it, is, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How are people going to hear if you don't talk? It's normal. But what we see is not just the focus of our witness. It's normal for the kingdom. We don't, we don't just see uh, the need for a witness, but what we see is the holistic nature of our witness. Uh, too often we think of being a witness like throwing a spiritual grenade, right? Well, people need to hear the gospel, so Jesus loves you. And you just kind of walk off and, yeah, man, Jesus really kicked butt, didn't he? Ooh, did he say that? I'm sorry. I really, I feel very convicted for saying it that way. You understand what I'm saying. Uh, Jesus, we expect that kind of, uh, Jesus wants to use relationship and not drive-bys, uh, not just dropping grenades. And so uh, Peter and Paul, uh, Peter and John, they take this man up. He is, he is healed. And I want you to see the holistic nature of this verse eight. It says, look at the repeated words. He's le he leaped up and he stood. He began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And the people who saw him walking were praising God. And they recognized him as the one that sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement of what happened to him. You see, a, a, a witness that is personally engaged is not only concerned with uh, the spiritual aspect of people's lives. We understand that lame, God, the gospel frees people to lame people uh, so that lame people can walk and leap. And, and, and actually what's amazing is this language that is used to describe the leaping. It's a fulfillment of a prophecy uh, that Isaiah gives in Isaiah 53 of when a new, the new spirit, new work of God happens, how people will be freed from their lameness and leap for joy. It's an awesome parallel. We don't have time to go deep into, but the point suffice it to say this, uh, that when we holistically care for people, that we want to help people really get back on their feet, that we want to restore them to a place where there's visible transformation. We are participating in God's ancient plan and his prophecies for redemptive application. It's hugely dignifying. It's beautiful. But I want you to see that this man uh, who was carried by others was transformed by faith. And his testimony actually began to carry others to Christ. They knew his deep need and desperation. They saw the transformation that only the name of Jesus can give. And they began to worship God as well. And when we see the larger story that we're a part of, when we see the opportunity that we have to be a witness and to apply the authority, the grace, the love, the hope, the power of the name of Jesus in all of our life, all of our labor, all of what we say with our lips in every single relationship that we have, that opportunity, not obligation, it's an opportunity for us. We're compelled by grace. We begin to see that God uses us to transform a whole community. 
that people that are bound begin to be free, whether it's bound by religion, they're free to really worship knowing God's grace, or bound by the idols of our world, of our hearts. So this is the focus of our witness, and the result is transformation. And we're just going to close in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, there's so much on my heart, but you are a God who's alive. I trust your spirit to stir, folks. Uh, I know, Holy Spirit, that you are stirring hearts this morning. And I ask for my brothers and sisters in this room, I pray, Lord, that the people that are on their hearts, that they would have the joy of their heart to go out and speak with them, to tell them that they love them. I pray that you would give them strength to follow the spiritual nudges that you're giving them. Lord, that they would experience the fullness of the grace, the love, the salvation that we receive from Christ. Lord, for those in here that have misunderstood the gospel and understood it more as a moralistic, therapeutic endeavor, something that was more religiously uh, 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 applied to their life more than a relationship with the living God, would you draw them to yourself? Those of, those of us in this room that are experiencing the deep need uh, of encountering the power of the name of Jesus, would you stir us and move us in a way, Lord, that not only transforms families and workplaces, classrooms and neighborhoods, but Lord, our city. Lord, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be your witness. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would overwhelm us with the beauty and the power of the gospel, that our feet might be beautiful and that your name might be glorious. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.